Welcome to episode 163 of the G2 on 5G. It's the latest inflant scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 20 minutes, and it's brought to you by Warren Flight and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is federal analyst Anshul Sag from New York City. So let's get started. Um, you and I, buddy, have been both on the road. I just got back from London. So if I sound a little tired, that's my excuse. But there was some big news, and we didn't want our uh, listeners and viewers to be wanting for our 5G podcast. But let me jump into it. So big news, AST Space Mobile and AT&T, as well as Vodafone, conducted the first 5G broadband session from space. And this is big, both voice and data. And it represents a huge milestone with respect to satellite communications and the opportunity to bridge the digital divides. It's funny, I posted this update. I got a lot of feedback on this. I always do. One of the comments was around just the size of the array of the space mobile low Earth orbit satellites. And, and I, had a, I had a pretty spirited discussion around what they're doing, their eventual plans to launch 100 satellites versus Starlink, which is doing ten, on the neighborhood of thousands of satellites. And from my perspective, the difference really is around the fact that AST Space Mobile wants to be that middleware, the infrastructure that supports modernization for mobile network operators versus Starly and some others that want to monetize the service. I know you've got some comments here. I would love to hear them. Yeah, I think this has really shown, I think, a lot of people in the industry that AST Space Mobile is a bigger player in the industry than I think people realize. I think it's really enabled them to make it a clear position as a leader in the space, but also that their technology works and that it's not just a pie in the sky dream. I think they may have been one of the first in Europe to make this capable. Obviously, maybe not in North America, but it sounds like they're operating both in Europe and in North America. So they clearly have that global coverage. I think a lot of people are expecting from satellite companies. And I'll also add, we also learned recently that Huawei's satellite connectivity is empowered by China Mobile. I think it's China Mobile, it might be China Telecom, um, yeah. but they're using Geo for theirs. I wouldn't necessarily expect to see AST working with a, with a Huawei necessarily, yeah. but it was just something that I thought would be a good fit considering that we're talking about satellite connectivity on smartphones. No, it's super relevant. And it's interesting. So the relationship with, with AST Space Mobile is with a number of mobile network operators. I think they're over 40. And we've talked about Rakuten. Obviously, this is Vodafone. And what was really interesting about this demo was that it was conducted in a completely dead zone in Hawaii. And, and that connectivity was between Hawaii and in Spain with Vodafone. It's exciting to see what they're doing here and really enabling device support that doesn't require any modification. And it was a Samsung device and Samsung has been participating in these prior demos as well. The other milestone was around, I believe it was an LTE voice call. And so I think they're making great strides and great progress. And certainly AST Space Mobile, they, they have a lot of work to do out. They've only got a few birds in the air, but their goal again over time is to have a hundred. And but that's relative to SpaceX that I think today has four or 5,000 satellites in the air and they have designs to launch more in the future. Yeah, I know it's super exciting. And I think there are other satellite companies um, that are wanting to mimic what AST Space Mobile is doing, but um, it's super, super exciting. But 
with that, let's go to your first topic. And you want to provide an update on something that we talked about and we took a victory lap on around Apple and um, some of the stumbles they've had with developing their own 5G modem. So I'll let you take it away. Yeah, this thing keeps evolving. It's really interesting because I believe this was a Wall Street Journal story, if I'm not mistaken. And they basically went out and talked to a lot of people who were involved in Apple's modem development from the early on phase, as well as current and, you know, got a lot of sources. I, I think there were some things that may have been missed in the uh, analysis that I think would have been valuable, like talking more about how Intel was partnering with Apple um, and supplying them and failed to do so, which eventually caused Intel to sell off its division to Apple and how Intel was continually failing to deliver and continually failing to compete with what Qualcomm was offering. And eventually Apple dumped them. So that's, I think, a really valuable thing to know when you see that Apple is struggling to deliver its own modem, most likely using a lot of this same IP. I feel now at this point, they're probably pretty deep into developing their own IP. But I think one really crucial thing that I think some people are missing is Apple needs to be spending more money on wireless R&D if it wants to contribute to the IP that exists within the standard and to potentially pay less royalties. Because even once they dump Qualcomm to the to curb, they're suddenly end up having to pay royalties for IP. Um, yeah. And developing new IP is a good way to avoid having to pay out because you need to cross license and do a lot of things and save some money. But yeah, I think it's really interesting. One of the most interesting lines that I saw in that article, I think a lot of people really attached to was the fact that some insiders were saying that Apple's modem is three years behind Qualcomm's designs. And they did some testing and, and verifying last year, and they saw that the, the, the size, power, performance were all underwhelming, and they decided to delay, which is what we talked about last year when we knew that Apple was going to delay their modem. And then once again, we hear again that they're delaying it again. Wireless technologies are not easy. 5G modems are especially hard, especially global 5G modems, like with what Apple needs to deliver. Qualcomm is uniquely positioned to deliver that. I also believe MediaTek is a viable option, but I think that Apple very much wants a partner that can scale to the size that they have. And I'm not sure MediaTek's modem business is there yet, but it's TSMC. So we'll see what happens. I will say that there, there's a possibility that they could be having talks already with MediaTek. I don't have any inside knowledge, but I would be surprised if they weren't. And yeah, I just think that this was a really interesting report because it says that Apple's modem is five years or three years behind Qualcomm's 5G. And that's a pretty significant number when you consider how fast the mobile industry moves. It's a huge number when you just equate it in technology, right? So I equate one year in technology is the equivalent to, to 10 years in another industry. You can call it dog years and that sort of thing. And Apple has a history of being very closed. That's beneficial because it ensures very high compatibility um, yeah. with respect to hardware and, and apps and that sort of thing. But I really think with respect to developing a 5G modem, they're finally realizing that to your point, it's difficult, it's not easy. And a partnership, even with Qualcomm, who they had a very storied history with, is necessary so that they can remain viable. We've seen the damage that the, the entity listing has done to Huawei and prevented them from accepting technology and that sort of thing. And certainly iPhone is a very formidable platform when you compare it to Android and, and they're going to continue to have to maintain a leadership position 
a partnership as far as it comes with, with 5G is going to be completely necessary to their success long-term. Just my personal opinion there. But again, my jet lag is kicking in here. I'm going to try to struggle through this and we'll get through our podcast. But I want to go to my second topic this week. And I'll be at uh, Mobile World Congress Las Vegas uh, next week. And I'll be doing a number of things there. One of them is spending time with T-Mobile. I'm a judge for their unconventional awards. This is for T-Mobile for business. So I am a judge with three others. And it includes two industry luminaries as well as a, a T-Mobile executive. And we're going to really recognize very unconventional thinking and the way that, you know, municipalities and companies in general are leveraging and leaning in with 5G technology. So I'm super excited about that. But as far as my expectations, no surprise, I think AI is going to be on the forefront. There's been a lot of discussion around AI and its application to uh, telecom and how that can improve not only the subscriber experience, but provide efficiencies within telecommunications operations. And I think AI will be a big, uh, highlight at the event. And I know that you've got a conflict and you won't be able to attend this year, unfortunately, but I just wanted to get your, your thoughts and insights on what you're expecting to see at the show. I have multiple conflicts, actually. I would love to be in three places at once, but unfortunately I can't be. So I will also be missing the Oculus Connect event while we'll be announcing the Quest 3, but, or sorry, Meta Connect. I forgot yeah. Oculus is dead, but basically I think we're going to see a lot more talk about standalone because AT&T and Verizon are going to really make a big push next year. I believe now that their 5G networks are near completion in terms of spectrum availability and, and, and rollout. And I just yeah. think you're going to see, uh, you know, AT&T and Verizon are going to join the uh, T-Mobile symphony talking about standalone and, and then what that enables. Yeah, no, I'd agree with you. Standalone should be huge. I think I'm, we're also going to hear a lot about private networking. And specifically, double-clicking into private networking, um, I'm expecting to, to hear some things from uh, industry leaders like Salona and that sort of thing around neutral host. That neutral host is really emerging as a uh, very compelling private 5G use case. And I got a little bit of exposure to that when I was with Circuit of the Americas about a week ago before I was in London last week at Connected uh, Britain. But I think it'll be an interesting event. Too bad I won't see you, buddy. But I'll make sure that I'm on our next podcast that I provide a full sort of readout on what I found compelling. And there'll probably be a Forbes article that follows there as well. But let's go to your second topic. You want to talk about Qualcomm's Wi-Fi Day and 5G fixed wireless access. I attended Qualcomm's Wi-Fi Day last week. And the announcement came out this week. So I was able to get an idea. This was a lot of Wi-Fi 7 technology. So obviously this is not necessarily relevant to 5G in a certain way. But the thing is that a lot of what Qualcomm's talking about with Wi-Fi 7 is related to fixed wireless and service providers. So mm -hmm. there was a lot of talk about one, their 5G fixed wireless platform and how that can deliver multi-gig performance to the user without having to dig any fiber, but also leveraging Wi-Fi 7 along with 5G in these fixed wireless gateways to enable new use cases and, and kind of change the, the landscape. They also talked about some fiber related stuff with 10 gig, with a 10 gig gateway that has Wi-Fi 7 in it, which I thought was really interesting, but that's not necessarily a 5G application, um, yeah. but it was just interesting to hear them talking 
about all the different ways that Wi-Fi 7 is being utilized. And one thing to consider is also that they're looking to reduce the latency of, of Wi-Fi to enable more 5G use cases like AR and VR. There are just some really interesting things that are going on with Wi-Fi 7 that I think will complement what's going on with 5G and make both more useful to app to developers and users. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there, there's a lot of leverage between next generation Wi-Fi and the 5G, 3G. PP standard, right? It's from an architectural standpoint, there's some leverage, right? Between the two. So that makes sense. Wi-Fi 7 finally takes into account the ability to aggregate spectrum for the first right. time. So you can actually aggregate 2.4 with 5 gigahertz or 5 gigahertz with 6 or multiple bands within 5 gigahertz. If you're in China where there is no 6 gigahertz for Wi-Fi. So that is called MLO. And that is a really interesting technology because it gives you up to 320 megahertz of spectrum, depending on what your spectrum roadmap looks like or what your availability is in your region. So there are yeah. some things, but in, in general, I think they're very complementary to each other and yeah. it'll be a great thing to see that momentum grow into next year. I agree. I think 5G and Wi-Fi are better together. I think I've talked about that on prior podcasts. But let me end my third and final topic. And I want to talk about Ericsson. And they acquired Vonage a few years ago. I'm not exactly sure when, but it was a big announcement. It was $6 million. And at first, on the surface, it was like Vonage. You think of IP phones, and why would that fit into Ericsson's wheelhouse? And what Ericsson saw from a value perspective with Vonage was its platform and its capability to bring programmability into what Ericsson was doing from an infrastructure standpoint. And Ericsson saw a vision of offering programmability within its network. And really what that was designed to do is really spur developer innovation and provide a sandbox to develop the next compelling 5G application. And flash forward recently this week, um, Ericsson announced um, a tie-up with Deutsche Telekom. Um, basically, Deutsche Telekom is signing up to provide basically uh, an API app store scenario. And there was a light reading article that was written about this, and the kind of the headline on it was around why it's taken Ericsson this long to do it. They've only got one operator signed up. Is it a failure? And I think what, from my perspective, broadly thinking about it, is that Ericsson's vision to make its network programmable is bound. And, and that's going to spur developer innovation. That's going to accelerate that next killer application. I've often talked about how ride-sharing uh, was birthed with, with GPS and with uh, very predictable connectivity from a throughput standpoint. And so I think more needs to be done along these lines to, to spur innovation. Now, obviously, Ericsson is not a nonprofit company, and they paid $6 billion to acquire Vonage. So you could argue that on the surface, are they getting the right return on investment? Maybe not in the short term, but this could be a longer term play for Ericsson. So I'm not sure if you caught Ian Worsell's uh, article, but I uh, would love to get your input on it. I did not, I'm sorry, I did not catch his article, but I would agree with your assessment that I don't think in the short term that it's been realized. Uh, I think that it will probably take a lot longer to, to make that assessment. And I hope that Ericsson is patient enough and their investors are patient enough to allow that to realize itself long term. But I will say it's still a pretty good fit. I'm not sure it's as good as the fit of, say, Cisco with Splunk. Um, yeah. But it's a good, I still think it's a pretty good fit. I think the Cisco Splunk thing is like a you know, marriage made in heaven. 
But yeah, I, I don't have any opinions in the short term. I do think it's hard to justify any kind of investment um, when it's that big uh, mm-hmm. in the short term. But in the long term, I think a few years, I think maybe we'll have a better idea. That's a good point. You got to think long term. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up Cisco and Splunk. And it's not directly related to our 5G podcast, but although Cisco does have a significant service provider business, I will let our viewers and listeners know that I'll be publishing a Forbes article likely on Monday. Robert Kramer, our newest analyst that's joined Warren Sykes and Strategy, did contribute. He's our enterprise data expert. And I penned an article around observability and where I think the value lies with a Splunk and Cisco tie-up. It is quite compelling. This broke when I was in London. I was actually, dude, I was sitting in the pub having a beer. What for what I got the note? So I was not predisposed. Obviously, there were rumors that were circulating around who might buy Splunk and apparently Splunk was shopping itself, but it is a great fit. There is a service provider play and I would encourage our viewers and listeners to check out that Forbes article when it posts on Monday at Welltown Tech is where you can find it. But let's go to your third and final topic. You want to talk about Reliance India and they're launching a fiber service. It's an FWA 5G service. And it's leveraging a standalone network. Now, dude, this is crazy because India has been pretty far behind, right? And when you look at when their 5G auctions occurred, we've been talking about this for years. And then all of a sudden, they're launching an FWA service with standalone. I didn't catch this news. I'm dying to hear your thoughts. So it's really interesting. I've saved the best for last, in my opinion, other than my earlier rant for about Apple. But the interesting part is you're right. They have made up a lot of ground very quickly. AT&T launched their fixed wireless service not too long ago. They've made up a lot of time. What's really interesting about this is uh, the company thinks that they'll be able to reach 200 million potential households with the service. They launched it in eight cities, including Delhi, Aminabad, uh, Bengaluru, Chennai, Hyderabad, and Kolkata, Mumbai, and Pune. They've, They've hit the big cities. And what's interesting about the service is it's a tiered service. So... They're calling it Geo Air Fiber, um, which is very similar to what AT&T is doing with their service and how they're calling it that. Um, internet. Yeah, AT&T is calling theirs. AT&T Internet, internet and, here. And they right. are claiming, AT&T is claiming that they're standalone. That's a part of that deployment for them. Exactly. I saw that too. So yeah. what's interesting is they're offering a 30 megabit service for $7 a month. And then they're also offering a 100 megabit service for $10 a month. And then they're also offering a service that that can you can opt in for some OTT channels as well, and then in addition to that, they have an air fi- geo air fiber max program, which is 300, 500, and a thousand megabits per second. The gig speed is forty bucks a month. Forty bucks a month for a gig, not bad at all. Uh, obviously in India, that's probably pretty pricey when you consider what other people are used to paying for internet service there. Um, but even then, 300 is 18 bucks a month and 500 is 30 bucks a month. So those are very affordable, reasonable price. And yeah, they're, they're really moving fast with this. And I think they're going to give a lot more people access to internet than maybe they wouldn't have been able to have otherwise. Because in India, there's obviously a lot of fiber, but there's also yeah. a lot of places that don't have fiber. So I think they're going to actually be able to fill a lot of gaps with this service. And they're already one of the biggest fiber providers in the country with 9 million subscribers for just for fiber service. So I think this actually might end up being a lot bigger than their current fiber service. And I think their fiber service is around the same size as AT&T's is right now. It's really interesting to see how they are leveraging 5G fixed wireless to accelerate their growth and increase access to customers. 
and, and give customers choice. And they have yeah. competition in India, so they're not going to jack up prices on people like we would in other markets. But realistically, this is a, a huge win for them. Uh, and I think it's going to only continue that fixed wireless momentum for the industry and pump up those numbers in addition to what T-Mobile and Verizon are doing in the U.S. Yeah, FWA continues to be the killer funky use case and Reliance Giant. They continue to be disrupted in that, that India market. And they're leaning into disaggregated infrastructure or an open ramp, cloud-native architectures to deliver the service. And it's quite compelling. And there are more entrenched competitors like the Barty Airtels of the world. And from my perspective, Reliance is like this disruptor with T-Mobile in the U.S. and delivering tremendous value. Those prices are, are very aggressive. And obviously in India, it's a developing geography and nation but it's still very compelling on the surface. So it's exciting to see what Reliance is doing in that market. And again, you know, competition, you know, breeds innovation. I always like to state that on these podcasts. So exciting stuff, but I know you've been on the road. I just got back from London. I'm about to do a turnaround. I'll be in New Same. York with Nosley and then with T-Mobile and at Mobile World Congress. So probably not my best performance on the podcast, but you know what, buddy? We, we got one in. You're in New York and I'm back in Austin just for a day or so. But another great podcast. Why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide insights on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Welltown Tech and I'm at Onshell Sod. We hope you have a great week and please don't forget to rate and subscribe.